My name is Jamie Piles. I joined Samaritan in December of 1996. We were homeschooling our kids and we were already thinking outside the world's box, if you will. And I saw a little tiny classified ad about this new kind of idea I'd never heard of before. My first reaction was, that's the kind of thing that we would do, isn't it? And so I finally called the number, talked to them, and the more I asked them questions, the more I liked their answers. Hey y'all, welcome to Cross Politic on the Five Laugh Feast Network, Pastor Toby Chuck Knox, um, the water boy. Super abundance. There's some, you know, I think I think for the longest time Christians have kind of been a little ignorant on economics, on the role of economics. A little? On, on, on the theology of a, economics. How about a lot? On the philosophy it's of economics. It's not about the gospel gate. Gospel um, about <laughs> economics. Gospel is not about economics gate. Just go preach it. Don't worry uh, about economics. Hey, the annual Fight, Laugh, Feast conference is coming up in, I don't know, what, what was the countdown? Have we started a countdown it's yet? about two months. About, a two, less, month, about two months away. Yeah. I'm um, this is a conference like no other conference and at this You've point, this is where the, the stuff hits the fan for me. Okay. <laughs> what do you mean? So uh, we actually, th- uh, Wednesday night's uh, location got canceled. What? Yeah. Oh, nice. So I got to find a new location. All right, good. Yeah, okay. that's where the beer and psalms beer go. Beer and yeah. psalms? Yeah. Uh-huh. Where do Christians go when they want to have beer and sing psalms? There's not no not the Ark Encounter. Uh, <laughs> that's not- City Hall. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Hey, okay. the Fight Life East Conference is a gathering of rowdy Christians from all walks of life, from all over the country, mm-hmm. who want to glorify God and build God-honoring families, businesses, schools, and churches. This is a one-of-a-kind event that transcends all the traditional boundaries, blending faith, culture, economics even, wow. and a zest for life into a vibrant tapestry of ideas and interactions. Who wrote this it, You know, a little secret here? Yeah. Um, uh, AI did. Really? I like what yep. they're saying. Attendees yep. from all walks of life gather here to engage in spirited discussions, celebrate shared values. That sounds a little, yeah, yeah, a little soft. And forge connections. I like that, like that. From thought-provoking talks to uproarious laughter and cross-politic live shows, the Fight Laugh Feast Conference Preach, is a celebration of King Jesus. So mm. buckle up as we fight, laugh, and feast with beer and psalms, amazing lineup of speakers, mm. awesome vendors, of course, our cross-politic live show, all happening October 11th through the 14th at the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. And don't forget, um, our live show is going to be solving all your problems with Christian nationalism. Right. Yeah. yeah. All of them. I, 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 actually, I think I solved oh. most of them over the weekend. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> visit fightlaughfeast.com today. Register your whole family. Bring your, your small group, your church, your youth group, everybody. Um, fightlaughfeast.com. We're very grateful to have with us Dr. Gail Pooley, an associate professor of business management at Brigham Young University, Hawaii. In 1986, he founded Analytics Group, a real estate evaluation and consulting firm. Dr. Pooley's a senior fellow with the Discovery Institute, where our friend George Gilder is also heavily involved, serves on the board of humanprogress.org, and is the co-author of a newish book, a book that you should have heard of by now, called Super Abundance. Dr. Pooley, thanks for joining us on CrossPolitik. Thank you very much. Delighted to be with you. Absolutely. What is superabundance? What do you mean by that term? Superabundance, actually, we we define it as uh, this idea that resources are growing faster than population. So if population is increasing at 5% a year, resources are increasing at 10% a year. So that is our, our definition that we use for the book. Is it always that kind of like, what's the ratio? Is it always doubled like that? 
No, not always double, just as long as it's going faster than the uh, rate of population. So think about a pizza. You have slices in a pizza. And um, the pizza can get larger two ways. You can get the slices can actually get larger, but you can also get more slices. So the idea of superabundance is that your individual slice is getting larger, faster than population is growing. And it just has to be greater than. Wow. So in some cases, it, it increases, uh, you know, twice as fast. In some cases, it's 10 times as fast. But this idea of superabundance is a challenge to this kind of traditional thinking that as population increases, we run out of resources. So, yeah, so our, the scarce, scarce resources, that's the conventional wisdom. Right, right. But But are you saying then just the more people you get, the more resources you get? <laughs> No, it actually goes a little, little bit deeper than that. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so first of all, I think there were, there were two original sins in economics, two things that we made mistakes in when economics was really founded. The first mistake that we made, I call it the, the first original sin, was that we confused or we uh, conflated or we equated the idea of resources with atoms. Now, if you remember the uh, movie Infinity War, yeah. Uh, the, the main antagonist there was uh, Thanos, and he makes this statement, uh, essentially, the universe is finite, its resources finite. If, if life is left unchecked, life will cease to exist. So his plan was, I'm going to save the universe and save life by destroying half a life. Well, the first part of his statement's, you know, probably true. We do live on a planet that has a finite number of atoms, but resources are not atoms. Knowledge uh, transforms atoms into resources. So if you think about uh, resources as being atoms plus knowledge, then it's really the knowledge that allows us to create resources out of these, in some cases, kind of worthless atoms. And that was that was our argument is that how do we really grow our resources? It's really a growth in knowledge. George Giller makes this interesting statement. He says the difference between our age and the Stone Age is entirely due to the growth of the growth of knowledge. It's knowledge that's growing. We're not getting any more atoms. Mm. Uh, we've got we've got the same number of atoms that Adam had. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of say. But what's different? What's different between us and and uh, yesterday or last year or last century is we're growing knowledge, and that growth in knowledge allows us to convert these atoms to much more valuable resources. Um, I'd like to use the uh, little story, uh, uh, little quiz. How many keys are in a piano? Well, well, if you, if you answer 88 keys, you get an A. So oh, the follow, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you said 66 or no, 26. I, I was thinking of 12 notes. <laughs> oh, 12 notes. 12 yeah. notes. <laughs> So, uh, so then the question is, well, how many songs are there in a piano? Oh, oh, wow. Well, it's, it's actually a trick question because there are no songs in a piano. Uh, the songs are entirely in the minds of human beings. And what is that number? How many potential songs can you create out of 88 keys? Well, it's actually kind of approaches infinity, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Now, some songs are going to be better than other songs, but it really illustrates this idea that the keys are the atoms. The music is the knowledge. Hmm. And it's knowledge that human beings discover, create, share, and consume that allows us to lift each other out of poverty. 
It's really knowledge. And George will say his three kind of principles that we used to, to kind of uh, build our book. Uh, the first one is wealth is knowledge. The second is um, growth is learning. And the third is money is time. And you can take those three propositions and derive a theorem. The, the growth in knowledge can be, can be measured in time. And so what we did in the book is we operationalized that theorem to develop a framework that allows us to measure what we call the time price of things. And um, mm. uh, the time price is, is really pretty simple. It's how much does it cost you and how much are you earning per hour? And you just take that ratio. So if if a pizza costs you twenty dollars and you're earning twenty dollars an hour, that pizza is a, a one hour pizza or a sixty minute pizza. Mm-hmm. So we buy things with money, but we pay for them with our time. And it, what it tells us is there's really two prices that we should consider: the time price, or excuse me, the money price, which is expressed in dollars and cents, and the time price, which is expressed in hours and minutes. So then the question becomes: Let's convert all of all of our products are our products and services into time prices and then look at what's happened to those time prices over time so if a pizza cost me 60 minutes today what did it cost me a year ago or 10 years ago it was the time price higher well if it cost me an hour and 30 minutes 10 years ago then uh, my actually a pizza abundance is 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 increasing because i i now take less and less time to be able to work to earn the money to buy that item. Mm. So what was the second sin? Did we get there or did I miss it? Because I'm still meditating on everything you're saying. But what was the second? You got the first sin. The first. Original the, the sin. Original sin in economics. Oh, I ha, ha, haven't actually talked about the second one. Okay. Yet. <laughs> right. so what is the second one then? Well, the second one is, uh, well, I kind of have a little bit. The second one is we, we uh, measured things in money. And we should have been measuring things in time. Mm. Now, in science, seven of our units of measurement that we use in science, six of them are based on time. And the problem, I mean, we got lots of problems with money. First of all, it's it's kind of this, this stuff that can you can inflate it, you can print it. Well, uh, how how trustworthy is a measuring stick if it's kind of made out of rubber or elastic? <laughs> and governments right. can can manipulate it. So they're really like six reasons that time is a better measurement than money. The Hmm. first reason, the first reason, if you use a time price, remember there's the the money price divided by the hourly income. It's really, you know, how expensive are things? Well, if, if the prices, if prices have gone up by 10%, uh, but your income has gone up by 20%, you're actually better off because Hmm. the time price is is decreasing. So you really have to compare prices against wages. And that's what time prices do. They capture both of those in one number, one number. So uh, when an innovation occurs, and in an innovation, you can define it as the discovery and sharing of new knowledge. And when someone discovers some new knowledge and shares it with the rest of us, uh, it shows up in a number of different ways in an economy. It can show up in lower prices, but it can also show up in higher wages. For example, if, if your wages double uh, and you walk into store, everything looks like it's 50% off because suddenly it takes you half as much time to earn that item. Wow. So if, you're, if your wage doubles or prices go down by 50%, it has the same effect on your perception or the time price. So the first benefit of using time over money is that 
is that time prices capture what's happening with innovation because it considers person's uh, person's wage. You know, when uh, we get CPI reports, well, the CPI went up by, uh, you know, 8%. Well, that tells you how expensive things have gotten, but it doesn't tell you how affordable things have gotten. Wow. Or or less or more affordable. You've got to compare it to something. If you tell me a piece of data, you've got to compare it to something else before I can start now putting it into context and trying to understand what this, uh, you know, what this means. So that's the first benefit. The second benefit of, of using time over money is that you transcend all of this contention that we have over CPI. What is it? Well, somebody says, well, we got a report here, you know, it's 8%. Somebody else says, no, it's 13%. No, it's 5%. Yeah. You can transcend all of this contention and subjectivity if all you simply you just simply go right to the price, divide it by the current hourly income, and get to the time price. So the third benefit is that you can go to any country and look at any product oh. at any time with any currency and calculate the time price. Yeah. I can go to I can go to Paris in 1850 and figure out what the time price is for a loaf of bread. And then I can compare that time price to the time price of a loaf of bread today or an orange in New York City or in in uh China or any place else on the planet. So it's this universal measurement that we can all rely on to be able to to measure comparative over time. So that's the third benefit. The fourth benefit is that, you know, time can't be inflated. Yeah. It can't be counterfeited. It can't be inflated. Don't it's try. got this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's and, good. And you can be lazy. <laughs> yeah. But, but you really can't buy time either. Right. Uh, mm. If you could buy time, rich people would never die. Right. Mm. So you can't buy time. And so it has this really interesting feature that it's both it's both constant and it's uh, it, it it also has this this flow. So it's like I have a fixed amount of time, but I also have this flow. But it's also and, not in super abundance. Well, uh, I, I right. found a hole. I right. found a hole. No. Right in your theory, <laughs> no, t- you know. t- t- time is the one thing that's scarce. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And George will say that. He'll say when everything becomes abundant, the only thing that that's left is, is scarcity is time. Yeah. Wow. It's like we yeah. we all wish we could have some more time, but that yields this fifth benefit: is is time is this universal uh, equality. We all get twenty four hours a day. Right. And what that means is. Should we be, should we, you know, we're kind of obsessed with comparing people's income inequality and, you know, um, lots of different reasons for income inequality. But one thing we can all say is we each get 24 hours a day. So perhaps a more appropriate way to measure and compare is time inequality. What do you get to do with your 24 hours today? And what do I get to do? Is there a difference in what you and I get to do with each other? Uh, you know, with our time that we're given. So those those six, I think I got six of them there. Those six reasons really suggest that time is a much better way to measure than money. So if we can move the economics profession, uh, you know, t- money is still going to be, we're still going to use money. But if we can also consider time prices, I think it'll be much more informative as to the, our ability to measure what's really going on. And <clears throat> back to George's, George's ideas is when, when you discover new knowledge, it actually shows up in a lower time price. That's how we measure the growth in knowledge with time, is in the time price. Uh, 
our friend Jordan Peterson made this interesting statement. He said, if you can, um, if you can figure out how to make twice as much in the same amount of time, uh, you're twice as smart. Mm. You've doubled your knowledge. Mm. And that's, that's really one of the, the features that we have to really look at is, first of all, it's knowledge that is wealth. And knowledge doesn't appear to have any kind of a limit in terms of our ability to discover valuable new knowledge. Mm -hmm. So we don't have this upper limit that says we're going to run out of knowledge. You know, we're not going to, we don't seem to be able to run out of knowledge yet. So our, our function of how do you create wealth? You've got to have these knowledge discoverers and those are human beings. And then they also have to have the freedom to innovate, the freedom to act on their ideas, to share their ideas with other people, and then to to find out whether their ideas are valuable or not. And that's the role Mm. that markets play. Discover why more than a million people use the free Olive Tree Bible app as their go-to for reading, studying, and listening to God's word. Start by downloading one of many free Bibles and start taking notes, highlighting verses and bookmarking your favorite passages. You can read at your own pace or choose from a large selection of reading plans, including the Bible reading challenge that originated here in Moscow, Idaho. When you're ready to go deeper into your studies, Olive Tree is right there with a large selection of study Bibles, commentaries, and other helpful study resources available for purchase. There's also an extensive bookstore that allows you to build your digital library one book at a time. And Olive Tree's Sync technology lets you pick up where you left off on your tablet, PC, or phone and get right back to studying on another supported device. Here's the best part. You can start with the Olive Tree Essentials Bundle for free today. Just go to olivetree.com slash FLF and download it today. That's olivetree.com slash FLF. So, um, Gail, if I understand you correctly, this, this, this equation, time value, is basically to the measurement of how long it took for you to um, do something. Is, is that the mathematical equation that you're getting at? You simply look at the price of something and say, you know, this pizza cost me $20. And I'm earning $20 an hour. That time price for me is one hour. Okay. Mm. And that's, that's, that's the real simple uh, time price calculation that you make. Yeah. And then okay. you go back in time and you say, well, how much did it cost my parents yeah. to buy this item? And how much were they uh, getting paid an hour? Yeah, yeah, exactly. My grandpa, he, he always told me, you know, when I was a kid, uh, Hershey bars were only five cents. Right. And today they're like a, they're like a dollar. Yeah. And I said, well, grandpa, yeah, they were five cents, but you're only making 10 cents an hour. Right. So right. it took, took you 30 minutes to earn the money to buy that Hershey bars. You know, I'm making like five bucks an hour. So when I was a right. kid, right. right. So it only takes me one fifth of an hour. 20, yeah. 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 It only takes me one fifth yeah. of an hour. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it took me 12 minutes to buy the Hershey bar. It took you 30. So who's better off? That's, that's so super it's, helpful. So what that, yeah, yeah, that's, that's very helpful. So what, um, why is this not the general understanding of economics in our American society? Like, um, well, if nothing else, how come conservatives don't use this as their talking points? It's even? a great story. It's a great narrative. Yeah. Right. You know, there have been some economists, Adam Smith, kind of the the father of modern economics, he talked a little bit about time prices. And um, and then um, Julian Simon, who's uh, this other economist that, that inspired us, he also talked about time prices. And there have been economists that have mentioned it, uh, but we 
we have developed this framework where we we actually have developed these equations, and they're all really pretty simple equations that now allow you to go out and look at the world with this new time pricing frame or these lenses that allow you to look at uh, the world from that perspective. And we think it it makes much more sense uh, to people to think in time instead of money. What's I'd like to kind of zoom out a little bit back. I want to go back to what you talked about just a minute ago. You're talking about innovation, yeah, and and freedom. And I, I'd like just to hear you explain that a little bit more because I wonder if that even actually gets at some of the problem too. Is I wonder if we're thinking about innovation in the right way. Are, are, are we thinking, I mean, broadly, I mean, American ec- economics, conservative economics, I mean, are we thinking about innovation in the right way? And do we understand really the relationship between freedom and, and innovation in the right way? That's good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, let me, let me uh, think about this a second. So let's, let's think about innovation first. Uh, we define innovation as a valuable new invention. You can also define innovation as you've discovered some new knowledge, and that new knowledge mm. has now allowed you to create more value or more uh, more wealth. And really, uh, the reason that we have lifted ourselves out of poverty on this planet is because of this idea of innovation. Well, then how do we how do we uh, how do we activate innovation? Well, you have to have people that are free to act on their ideas. But you also have to have governments that recognize this and are are entrepreneur or innovation friendly. We define an entrepreneur as someone who who really is actively trying to search out and create new value. And so uh, countries that have been more entrepreneur friendly, more innovation friendly, um, have tended to to see lots and lots of innovations. And and so it takes people and the freedom to innovate. And this is why uh, China was so poor for so long. And then suddenly, in the early 80s, they begin to escape poverty. They had lots and lots of people, but all of their entrepreneurs were dormant mm-hmm. or inactive. And it's when you you kind of have this, this uh, I, I think of it as the, the analogy or the story of the seeds, uh, in the New Testament, you know, you have you have these seeds that get placed in these rocky spots, and they they don't do anything. And they another seed gets planted here, and it 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 starts to grow, but then it's consumed by weeds. And then another seed gets planted in this place, and it it gets water, it gets sunlight, and it it takes root and it blossoms and flourishes and bears fruit. Well, you can think of our you can think of our world as different places where entrepreneurial seeds thrive. Or don't thrive, mm-hmm. and it's it, it's it's really uh, you know lots of things uh, uh, contribute to this, but this primary factor is the worldview of the leaders of that country. Mm-hmm. Are they are they open to the idea of change and new knowledge that might threaten the status quo, wow. uh, that might threaten current um, you know businesses or ways of doing things? So. Uh, the United States has historically been this very fertile place where entrepreneurs could come, they could give it a go, they could try, they could fail, they could get up again. We're very forgiving of failure. We're very encouraging of people to try these new things. Uh, we welcomed people, come here and try your ideas out, bring your bring your best uh, game to the table and see what happens. Um, so th- that, would be, uh, that would be kind of a... a a real basic uh, foundation for 
this idea of, of innovation and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Uh, you got to have people because people are the only source of new ideas. And these new ideas, we don't know who's going to have them. And that's that's why we have to treat each other with dignity and respect. We don't know who the next Steve Jobs is going to be. Um, but we do know that they're here. They're here with us. And if under the right conditions, they're going to blossom. And that work that they do, the discoveries that they make, that they're able to share with us, lifts all of us. Interesting thing about Steve Jobs is... His bio, he was adopted. His biological father was actually uh, Syrian. So mm. imagine what our world would be like if Steve Jobs had been born and raised in Syria. Mm. Well, I think it'd been a lot different. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think it'd been a lot different for Steve. I yeah. think it'd been a lot different yeah. for the rest of us. Well, now, now ask yourself how many Steve Jobs are in Syria today, and all of these other places on the planet. Right. And they're not able to manifest their mm. talents and gifts because they have a culture that's oppressive of Oof. their creativity. Oof. Or, or you just think, I mean, I've thought about this before too, but I mean, you just think about the absolute outrage of abortion and all, all these, all these human beings being killed. Just, just, yeah. I mean, able, uh, all yeah. these people yeah. made in the image of, of God yeah. uh, with all, I mean, how many Steve Jobs have, you know, uh, yeah. had their lives snuffed out? And where the majority yeah. of those, you know, you find the minorities in our country, black folks, yeah. killing the majority of right. their, you know. Right. And, and yeah. oftentimes kind of in a, in a for Thanos-like reasons. Like, uh, you know, huh. I mean, be too many people. Right. We have too many people. Um, and it and it'll be too hard um, right. rather than seeing that as, as, as opportunity for um, great blessing and abundance. Right. Gail, can I, can I, yeah. I want to ask you, as you were talking, the only thing that popped in my head was this makes AI less of a threat and more of an opportunity, right? Because if it's helping me to do something that I would have done faster, right? It made and you better, twice as smart and, and twice as smart. Yeah. Then we can use things like this, like AI, like AI, because, you know, this is and I'm starting to think I'm just going to say all this and you can just grab whatever you want to hear, Gail. But it, this is what I'm I'm starting. You're making sense of what I'm seeing from my friends on the supply side economic uh, uh, chain of this. They're they're saying get to work, get busy, make things be creative, because regardless of what's going on over here in the inflation side and everything else, the surprise in the system will fix it all. The people getting busy and getting to work would change everything, if, especially if we can cut our time in half. So AI is not a threat. Even inflation, while it's a problem, it can be fixed with hard work and people get finding some surprise in the system, right? Amen, brother. Okay, well, amen. <laughs> all right. All right, I'm going to give myself a little hey. So here, here, here's the way that I think about that. You're, you're exactly right. If we can develop these new tools, if wealth is really knowledge, and we can come up with ways that allow us to discover and create knowledge faster, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah. Mm. And I think of it from these two two aspects. Look, if you're if you're a teacher and you have this ability to be able to have a, a teaching assistant that can identify all of these uh, needs of your students much faster and be able to point you in a way that will help you to be a more effective teacher, that's got to be a good thing. And if you are a student and you have this tool that's that's infinitely patient, that knows kind of all about your interests, that knows your learning style, 
and has access to all of the world's knowledge and is there to help you for for almost free, that also has to be a good thing. Mm. Now, we we take that and we weigh it against the bad, right? Because right. we're always thinking about what's the trade-off? Yeah, this is all the benefits, but what are the costs? Right. And there's going to be costs out there that uh, that we haven't recognized yet. They're going to impact uh, people. Just like the costs of developing the printing press impacted all of the scribes who used to make pretty good money yeah. <laughs> uh, scribing. Right. And the combine impacted lots of uh, workers who used to go out by hand and uh, harvest fields. So right. these technologies, are they tend to be very disruptive uh, initially, but over time, they become very, very valuable because now it allows people to be able to pursue other things that really we're much better at doing. Human beings are happy when they're creating and they're choosing. If I could give you more time that you could choose to devote to pursuing your creative interests and you got to choose those things, that's got to be a good thing. And it's got to be a good thing for every human being on the planet. And the prime beneficiaries of this abundance are the poorest uh, least uh, fortunate on the planet because it's going to give them more time right. to be able to do things. I don't spend eight hours a day working so I can pay for my food that day. I'm not a subsistence farmer. Right. I, I I now have some more time that I can devote yeah. to other things. And I, I now get to join the creators and the contributors and the discoverers of new knowledge, not just I'm not just a consumer. I'm a creator. That, that's, mm. that's really interesting. And this kind of makes sense of one of the, the, you know, prevailing theories of, you know, Adam to Noah was that that civilization was potentially had more progress than ours. Yeah. But that's because living such long lives. Yeah. They were living 800 years. They might have had, they years, had a lot more time, a lot more time yeah. to gain more knowledge. Yeah. And, and so there's um, mm. kind of yeah. fun. Fun yeah. little exercise. Uh, that's, uh, super abundance. Yes. Y'all yeah. need to buy it yeah. today. Yes. Yeah. Well, great book. Gail, thank you very much for joining us on Cross Politic. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, you guys. You stay right there, Gail. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. Looking for a job isn't easy. It used to be that you could apply at a big-name tech company and build a great career for yourself. But times have changed. Many of these companies have gone full woke. And if you aren't the right gender, ethnicity, you don't use pronouns, or if you're not an activist for the preferred cause, then good luck. Why would you risk your career on that? At Red Balloon, we're connecting good employees with top quality companies that value you for your skills and your work ethic, not your social activism score. Employers who post jobs on Red Balloon are focused on creating an enjoyable and productive work culture, free from divisive woke mandates. So if you want to find a serious career path without the nonsense, come to Red Balloon and post your resume today. Because you shouldn't have to choose between your job and your values. That's redballoon.work where you can find your future.